0: what has been something that you have been pleasantly surprised about your marriage?
1: Yeah. So Heather and I have been married
0: 25 and a half years. Oh, thank goodness. Cause I was going to, I have a much smaller number and I was going to use half, but I was like, is that too childish? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so you're welcome.
1: Um, Yeah. So now I have to remember about what I expected before I got married to see what's (laughs) pleasantly surprised. I'll tell you, I have been exceptionally impressed uh, with the kind of mom she she is. And the reason is Heather's an Enneagram one to those that speak to Heather. Heather's very much about here's the order of things and her flexibility, her adaptability has been just amazing. I'm, I have learned so much about parenting, watching her and working with her. Uh, and it's not that I thought she'd be a bad parent, but I'm just I feel like she's an exceptional parent. So that that's been really. An ongoing surprise at how well she processes
0: things, and yet in her mind is so ordered. Uh, what about you? One of the things I've always been pleasantly surprised with Hannah, and I guess we'll just we'll just throw our wives' enneagrams number out there. She's a four, um, and so she is. She's super passionate um, about the things that she's super passionate about and things mm-hmm. she really likes, uh, and so she feels very strongly, and she she loves very um, intensely. And so when when disagreements happen or when um, conflict comes up, it surprises me how well she is at checking herself um, in her in her deep emotion. Um, For me, I have a much more cerebral, like, you know, kind of um, just like head above the clouds, analyzing the situation. And that's not her at all. And that's caused a lot of conflict in our marriage, you know by itself. But one of the things that I really love about her is she, she is, w- one of the things I really love about her is she is so strong willed and yet not really defiant. And so she believes what she believes and she holds those beliefs very strongly. Um, but when it comes to our work together, or it comes to um, how we interact. Um, she does not hold on to her, point of view or hold on to her perspective over our relationship. And um, that just meant that, I mean, honestly, that was something I was a little bit worried about because she is very strong. Well, she is very passionate about things. It was something I was a little bit worried about before marriage. Um, but when conflict has happened, when their struggles come up, uh, she is so attentive to not, not holding on to her perspective or her point of view over um, the health of our relationship, our marriage. Mm. And how long have you guys been married? Oh, it's good. We have so Hannah and I have been married for three and a half. Closer to almost almost four almost years four. now. Yeah. Almost four. Yeah,
1: we're sitting in your uh, front room and I'm looking at your wedding pictures right now and it was a good day.
0: Look at, a very, look at look at that young day. buck. What I was day. so handsome. Everybody was watching me and
1: what a compassionate woman. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that's it is a, you know what I always well paired. What I always told uh for those who don't what's what's so funny, like every time we've told people that we're pregnant, and we're having a baby, Hannah and I look for two like pasty white people. We look a lot different for you know um and so people are just fascinated like, what is your baby going to even look like <laughs> um, I don't know I'm interested in that too what i this is an interesting thing I always told my friends growing up is did I want to did I want to marry the kind of girl that would want to marry me? The answer ended up being yes for Hannah but what i don't know what it says about her that she <laughs> that she wanted to marry me
1: i think every honest husband feels that way i think the phrasing i married above my pay grade or mm-hmm. you know over my head
0: the, the funny thing jason i remember you talking about this we were earlier on in our marriage and jason you always helped me with like you know just kind of those initial steps and um, talking through some things that adjustments that you have to make when you're you're newly wed and there's this phenomenon where like something will happen in your marriage and you feel like you're just being so loving so kind the best husband ever and you'll start like talking yourself up in your car like you're fantastic connor you're a great husband like does she not know how good she has it like what like what and then like you'll catch a look at yourself in the mirror and you go oh (laughs) and the and the physical reality of yourself then gives way to the emotional reality of yourself and that thought is is checked pretty quickly yes hello my name is connor and i'm jason and you are listening to The Amazed and Perplexed Podcast.
1: Today we're going to be interacting with Matthew 22, beginning in verse uh, 23. We, we've been centered in Luke 20, and this is a, a parallel passage here, uh, but we like the more succinctness of of uh, Matthew's account. And so what's happening here, Jesus still—I call this, in in Luke 20, I call it, to help me remember, it's 20 questions, uh, because Jesus is really being drilled in this passage to try to trip him up, and different groups have come at him, and so the Sadducees come at him there in 23. They don't believe in the resurrection, and they ask him a question based on law, and the basic scenario is a man marries a woman, and he doesn't get her pregnant, and he dies. And then by law, his brother has to take care of that, impregnate her to give her a son. Uh, But it it doesn't happen. He doesn't get her pregnant, and it goes on. And ultimately, there are seven brothers. They all die. They were all married to her. She dies, and they're in heaven. And so whose wife will she be? And picking up in verse 29, Jesus says this, Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures. I just want to input, ouch. (laughs) Uh, And he goes, uh, and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. But now, as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. When the crowds heard him, they were astonished at his teaching. And so, Connor, what amazes you
0: about this interaction with Jesus and the Sadducees. So what amazes me about this passage, for women at this time to be given over to marriage, to bear children, that was the be-all, end-all. That was their job. That was their role. That was pretty much all they were called to and all that was expected of them in society. And to go beyond that was highly unlikely and oftentimes looked down upon. And what's really fascinating about this, in this passage, Jesus takes what would have been seen as as women's only role, and he says that that's not what you're going to be doing in the new heavens and the new earth. Wow! And so what does that mean if in the kingdom of God and the ultimate reality, if for what the Sadducees saw as the role of women, that that's going to be taken away Um, and the ultimate plan for everything? It's just amazing to me the implications of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's really good perspective. The The thing that jumps out on at me... Is I okay? So, the other questions that Jesus is getting hit with are trying to trap him Mm -hmm. to get him either to lose his audience, yeah, or get him in trouble with the government, you know. And this is pretty consistent the woman caught in adultery, it's a similar thing, you know. They're trying to trap him that he'll either lose his audience or get in trouble with the government. So, what's amazing to me is the Sadducees. So this is kind of a twofold amendment. At first, what's the what's the burn here? Um, you know what I mean. So he says, "Oh, there is no resurrection," uh, which puts him at odds, but not with his people necessarily. I, I can see how it would, but it's the Pharisees that are holding out these things. It, it's it's it. Everybody else is a more visceral attack, and this is a more intellectual attack. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So so on That's this. Good is there's really a clear—if he says, like, for example, in the same chapter, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, if he messes that up, as we talked about in that episode, is that now he's in trouble with the government, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean, or in trouble with his audience, you know. And I don't include the Sadducees and Pharisees in his audience. Let's say more generally his followers, those that are open to his message. The Sadducees and Pharisees have decided they are not open to his message. So basically they're trying to pit him against other people that are not open to his message. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Which uh, it, and maybe I'm I'm short sighted on this, but what is their big goal there? Because if he says there is a resurrection or no resurrection, the government couldn't care less. Yeah, he's just going to be irritated with allied with the Pharisees or with them. You know, so it's a it's a funny, it's very myopic, it's very they they lacked the imagination to even put it in a bigger scene
0: so you know it's interesting we talk about this all the time about the expectations for messiah right the sadducees were oftentimes they were the high priests of the like they were a minority in terms of numbers but they had massive amounts of power and they controlled um much much of the sanhedrin and so um for them sadducees believed that there was no resurrection they believed there was no life after death and so all that mattered was the here and now all that mattered was good relationship with the Roman oppressors. All that mattered was keeping the peace. Um, in fact, if Jesus didn't have the perspective of resurrection and everlasting life, um, it almo- like a mil- militaristic revolution is almost the only answer, right? It, it's almost the only thing that makes the answer. If there's no hope after death um, for the Sadducees, the perspective of either kowtowing to the government or overthrowing that government, I mean, that, that's that's the only thing that... Like makes sense from their perspective, mm-hmm. yeah. That's
1: good. That's good. And and so I, I just, I guess what amazes me, and it's in a negative way, but just the, um, I, I can see myself in this in the sense that you think, oh, I got this. You know what I mean? And and just thinking there, it, it's funny because it doesn't speak to the Sadducees at the end of the story. It doesn't say the Sadducees turned away sad or you know anything like that. It's like they just. It's almost like they're marveling at their own question. You know, it's such mm-hmm. a good Loctite question. This is going to get him. And I, it's almost like I can see in my mind's eye them kind of just walking slowly away. You know, as he's yeah, answering the question. you get
0: the sense from the text that this is like their go-to question. Like, yeah, this is like when they're debating the Pharisees or they're debating. You know, so and so. In fact, the Pharisees, from my understanding, um, they had a they had a view of of the afterlife that we would not recognize today. That like um, oftentimes. Uh, They would be buried with things they might need in the afterlife. They would be buried with um, tools or they'd be buried with certain clothing. In fact, it was a big debate in the Pharisees was when you were resurrected, would you be wearing clothes and where would you be resurrected? Would you be resurrected where you were buried or would you be resurrected in Jerusalem? I mean, all these little like nitty gritty details. It was like a big is a big deal for them. The Sadducees, this is a question that they would ask the Pharisees all the time, right? Because um, the Pharisees believed that life after was very similar, um, like, if not the same sort of thing from the current age. And so this was like a big Trump question for the intellectuals of the day. I mean, these are smart people. These are brilliant people. These are highly educated people and that Jesus can give answers that even these brilliant, highly educated people can't come up with. um, Yeah, no, it's, it's just, it's crazy. It is. It is. So with, with that, what
1: perplexes you about this passage?
0: So what perplexes me about this passage is the, the doctrine that springs from it the reality um the fact that there is no marriage in resurrection the fact that my wife will be this like will have the same sort of claim on my wife as as you will my wife as i will on your uh, like as all of christians and all of history the perplexing thing is i hate this and it mm-hmm. sounds terrible um yes. and I, I know the intellectual reasons. I, I, get, I get them. But there is still a visceral, um, gross feeling to me when I hear this.
1: I, that is exactly where I, I land. So there is a part that if you take it out of the goal to trap and mm-hmm. you're just looking at the essence of the question, you're like, that's a really good question. Mm -hmm. not because I want to disprove or prove the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection, but it is that dynamic. It's like, huh. And this raises a lot of questions, like the questions around uh, connections, you know, the questions around loyalties, the questions around, you know, okay, let's say, let's take it out of marriage. So you have a best friend here and you're a best friend from, you know, two to, 22, and then you have a best friend from 22 to 36. And then you have a best friend, you know. So when you get to heaven, who's your real best friend? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and I mean, it sounds silly, but I, but as a as an emotional person, those things, when you really think it through, and no more true is your point is, if I enter a room where, in in your terms, uh, um, everyone has equal claim on my wife, that is no longer heaven in my understanding. Yeah, that's torture. You know, that's that's hell. You know, I, I would just feel terrible if on earth i walked in and everybody knew heather the way i knew heather and we're connected with heather the way i was connected with heather oh it makes me uncomfortable hearing you describe it i know, i know it's just awful so then what do we do with that
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh enjoy listener <laughs> this, that's all we had for today yeah we're just ask questions that seem just keep on making you more uncomfortable yeah and that's the funny thing about it so the Sadducees asked this question to make Jesus uncomfortable. Uh, And then Jesus responds in a way that makes me feel more uncomfortable (laughs) than anything the Sadducees could have said. I'd
1: rather just be married to seven men and move on. (laughs) Well, I feel for her. I'm just saying for the the equation of it, I'm like, can we just say you don't understand? They'll work it out for the equation.
0: So I'm going to, like you said, you've been married, you've been married for a good amount of time, much more than I have. So I'm going to pass the buck to you, Jason. How do you process this? Um, how have you processed it historically?
1: Yeah, so the first thing I think of, you know, right after he says there's no marriage or be giving married and then he shifts gears uh, to the resurrection of the dead. So his point is saying, do you understand these people are alive? And and I, I think it ties into answering the the first or the, the, the thing we're responding to as being perplexing is this idea. There's something that we can't understand about the quality of living. And so and that's that's how I put together all, all of my conceptualization of heaven. We're we're dealing there's a lot of content in the Bible that speaks of the afterlife. It's hard to make it, to bring it all together. And that showed up in our discussion on death. It's hard to okay, how do we take this? These seem to be contradictory and how do we make those fit together as best we can? And I will just remind us our understanding is is useful and wonderful, but the fact that I can't understand something doesn't mean that I should give up or be frustrated. This is more of an opportunity to just to trust God with it. Yeah. But the thing that I have to tell myself is, so if I think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob alive and fully alive, and there, there's great value that, that I am because God introduced himself, we'll remember to Moses, says, I tell them I am, you know, God, this ever-present one. So we are taking on the quality of God is the inference there. Um, and so there's a quality of life that we cannot imagine. Now, we can get there a certain way when when I speak at funerals. I think I may have said this before in an earlier podcast. But at funerals, I will often say uh, just as a moment of levity because almost always people will laugh, um, especially if something popped up. Man, this lady is a real firecracker. Well, that translates to at times... Susie was difficult to get along with. Is that true? And then a whole – like at my own grandmother's funeral, I was like, I was like, she was quite persnickety. And everybody laughs, you know, mm-hmm. despite the fact that everybody before that had been like, grandma was awesome. Didn't did anything and, wrong. Yeah, yeah. There was Jesus and then grandma and then maybe <laughs> Paul, you know. And, and it's like and, – and, but it's the idea that part of our joy is when we're together in the future – all of that—I was talking to a guy yesterday whose dad died, and we're having this conversation. All of the, the good that we saw from those persons will be will be there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but none of the sin that weighed that down. None of the striving, none of the angst, none of the anxiety that, that hurt our relationships all the time, and this is a beautiful thing. So by the same token, the quality of our relationships is beyond our imagination. So if that's true, I'm trying to find a point of comparison. And, and this is the story I, I work on in my head. I had a, um, a a pen pal from Japan. This is back in the days that you wrote letters, and you sent it to Japan. <laughs> you know what I mean? A couple and hundred years ago. I'm yeah, yeah, him. yeah. Back in, yeah, that age. And so, and then you'd wait, and then, you know, it'd be really simple, surface conversation, but it was cool to hear their perspective, you yeah. know? So... Uh, haven't i we wrote seven letters maybe a piece and that ended years and years ago okay but we had a relationship it was a connection it was somewhat of a commitment to that degree mm-hmm. um but that was that relationship so then i marry my wife and the point of comparison between those relationships they're incomparable hmm. like like for you to say hey would you like to maybe be with your pen pal i'd be like what are we talking about That's it's funny. so ridiculous because now the quality of that relationship and I can compare that to a girl I did in high school, it's the same difference is yeah is I would think I would have a crush on somebody, but compared to what I have with Heather, there's no comparison. It's like two totally different relationships, two totally different worlds. Mm-hmm. You know? And so if I can imagine that huge gap in the nature of human relationships and the quality, how much more would the quality of relationship be different when I'm transformed as as Philippians three to, will be transformed to be like him? Mm-hmm. And so I think to myself, in the same way that I wouldn't be in a room and they'd say, hey, here's your pen pal, would you want to trade that relationship? would be no way. Yeah. To look at my wife in heaven with that whole different quality and you say, would you like it to go back to how it was when you were married? I'd be like, why would I give up this for that? And the angst and the tension and the hard work, and yes, there's beauty there, but the beauty I experience on earth is a glimpse of what I'll have fully in heaven. It's not that I'm trying to recapture it in heaven.
0: Uh, I think we talked about this in our series on death. When we talk about um, you know, going to see the Grand Canyon here and how magnificent and how crazy it is and that and the new heavens and new earth men will see the Grand Canyon. We'll see it like the way it was meant to be. It, it, and um the the truest sense and the most beautiful sense. And, and for me, I can get my head around that, right? Um I can get my head around grand, like grand architecture. I can get my head around um no sickness, no death. I can get my head around um th- That sort of thing. I think it's harder for me to picture perfect relationships. Mm-hmm. I can picture and have experienced amazing grand vistas, and I can think, man, what this can be even better. This can be perfect. I'm just now thinking about this. Can I, even with like my wife, even with my best friends, even with you, Jason? I think it's harder for me to picture what even this relationship would be like if it was perfect.
1: I think so, and I think a big part of that is the nature of your relationship with the Grand Canyon versus these people you're describing. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's what makes it harder. Uh, the other thing that I think makes it hard on us is the dynamic of we tend to think of God as a more powerful version of us. Mm-hmm. And so we assume that he has our imagination and our ability, and so we, we say, if I'm able to present five percent change, then God can pres- can Then, er, er, as I said, affect five uh, percent change. Then God can affect eighty percent change. Mm-hmm. You know, and see, God, if He's perfect, then He's always affecting a hundred percent change. Now, because we experience that so slowly, living in time, yeah, and we experience change gradual, but from an eternal perspective, He's seeing it bang bang.
0: So this is good. I, I I think this happens a lot in Christian circles where I'm like, I'm a younger baby Christian and I find myself plugged into a church and I see the, I see the preacher, I see the pastor, I see the minister and man, they just have a fire for God and they explain things, they talk about things and, and just remarkable ways that connect to your heart. And you're just like, man, if I could get to the level of that person then oh gosh, you know, my marriage would be solved or my kids would start acting right. You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have problems at work. You know, even maybe I'd even make more money. Like you know, all these miraculous things that happen, but then it turns out that that preacher, that minister, was having an affair, or it turns out that that preacher minister was abusive in his relationships, or what? What? Or just turns out to be a normal, broken, you know, hurting man, and he's not the person you put up on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. I, I do wonder: is this? Is this a symptom that I think? Okay, I'm at five percent of goodness of holiness of perfection whatever it is and i think man jason's you know he's not perfect but he's at he's at 25 percent, and god's at 100 if i could get to 25 man i would be doing so well but the reality of the scale is we're at like 0.1 percent and maybe maybe you know somebody is at one one (laughs) two right um and i think i think that's just as we're talking here i think that's helping me frame this perspective of you know i have had lots of relationships in my life that were not good right that in comparison my marriage like you were talking about are just we're hot garbage and for me the perspective is like you said that just kind of going back to the whole marriage thing that those relationships are innate my relationship with my wife is in another universe compared to that um and and like i said if i can get that persp- okay what you said is now just kind of like clicking with me if i can get the perspective that the relationship i had with um you know my pin pal when i was seven years old versus the relationship i have with my no- with my wife now is in another universe and it's that much more so with god okay that that's kind of helping click with me yeah so so here i'm going to throw this in god
1: doesn't Okay, just bear with this. God doesn't love. God doesn't love. God is love. God doesn't practice goodness. He is goodness. Mm -hmm. Okay, so even in our our, which I totally agree with that dynamic. You know, point point one and point one two, and I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, because the closer you get to God, the more you're aware of your weaknesses. Yeah, When you start out, when I started out really pursuing God, I was like, man, if I can just get over cussing and looking at <laughs> pornography, I'll be doing awesome, you know? And then I largely got beyond those things, and I'm like, I'm a wreck. You know, I just didn't realize how much of a mess a little I am. Well, darn tootin' you start making up Christian words. <laughs> right, exactly. So anyway, I got all the euphemisms now, and I'm still a wreck, you know? And the the this dynamic of the, the difference between God and us on that scale from zero to 100 is that God's not practicing. We're having to practice and discipline ourselves. He is those things. That that's he's not. He can't even be measurable at the scale because there's no comparison to when he wasn't that thing. And and I don't even know if this is valuable. Okay, so content, but but just even that qualitative difference.
0: Yeah, I feel like this episode is either gonna go like gonna be like so unhelpful for lots of people, or it's gonna be like it's gonna it's gonna be amazing. <laughs> so. Don't let us know if it's it's the first one. <laughs> no, we want your honest response. Just don't raise it. Send it to Jason. It. <laughs> yeah, send it to me. Okay, so I, I'm thinking here. I, I love what you said, and I think it's integral to walking, um, walking with God. It's this recognition that the further I I become more like Jesus, the more I realize how far away I, I actually mm-hmm. am. And I'm now just wondering, is that the case with relationships? I, I I'm not I've never equated this before. This is hmm. this is blowing my mind right now. And I'm, I'm thinking back. So I've been married for three and a half, close to four years. And I think about what I want my marriage to be, what my marriage can be, and should be. And, and I'm thinking as our marriage has gotten deeper and better, and it's gone through yeah, gone down valleys and up hills. I do think now that I do think there are times where I recognized. Even after our marriage had grown so much that I would look back and go, "Oh man, there's still is' so much there's still a much bigger hill to climb, and there's still um so much more that this could be and yeah, this is if it's not helpful for anybody else's podcast, I might just cut everything I have to say out um because i'm just I'm just processing and learning this too. It's so funny when that happens where you have a concept. Um, and you just realize that you've known this concept, you've applied it to plenty of other areas in your life, and you never thought to apply it to this area of life, and that's what's happened to me now.
1: Yes, and, and I think this is really, really important because this is, I don't want to call people to anything besides be a disciple of Jesus, be a learner, be, expect to be wowed by the next discovery, and, and be open to it, So so for this, I think that is really fascinating. So so here's my experience at this point in my in my married life. If I were to have had the wherewithal to write down all my expectations. So let's say I could have generated a list of 50 expectations of what my marriage will be, which having done brought people through m- many people through premarital counseling,
0: myself included. Um, yeah.
1: yeah, you and Hannah included. Uh, you don't have that wherewithal. You're just amazed that you're with the person you love and you're going to marry them. And I mean, I hope that's people's experience. You know, (laughs) why would you marry? Um, And so there's part of you like, man, the good so far outweighs the bad, the bad will just blow away. And especially if you buy into the happily ever after, this is my soulmate, this will be easy because we really love each other. And I've even had people tell me, the problems you're discussing must apply to other people. but They do not apply to us. And I'm like, can you just call me in six months and say that? And then I want to see, you know, is that still true? Um, because the nature of any relationship is you're trying to merge two worlds, some of which doesn't fit together. And so, uh, and this is where this is important part is, if this is simply, um, okay, God, thank you for being there. Now you've given me this marriage. Now I'm going to work out this, my, my own marriage. Then what happens is that is a never-ending circle. Um, but if you are saying no, this is God's work. God brought us together. God's the one that's going to continue to bring us together. If I were to look back at my list of fifty things, I would realize two things, or three things. One is that there are still things we've not met, we've not excuse me met, and we should. We should keep working to this. You know what I mean. Two is um, some of those expectations were ridiculous. Like, I don't want them at all. I, those were formed by such inept perceptions. And three, there are certain things that were met, but in ways that bl- blow my mind compared to what I would have conceptualized the best would have been. And this is the nature of expectation. And one of the biggest mistakes we can make is say, I have no expectations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, Because what that does is... Even if you can't figure out them all, if you're not willing to say, what are my expectations of this relationship? And, and including God, because what will happen is, okay, so I've, I've talked about before we lost our, our child, you know, 24 years ago. And so one of the things that came up is Heather, and, and if she was on her, she'd tell you, she had a strong expectation that God would work uh, for our good to our understanding if we were faithful. And so she was like, there's no point in me holding on to God if he's not going to follow through. Mm-hmm. Because she had had formed a God in her mind, and I had my own problems with this, that was like, he will do what I, I, I think he's going to do because I'm being good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, then you look in the Bible and it's like, uh, was John the Baptist doing good? Beheaded. Was Jesus doing good? Crucified. Was, you know what I mean? It, just, it, it doesn't and even and add, up, add up biblically, but we've merged the American dream or the happily ever after with kingdom <laughs> And we think that this world should make sense to us and should smooth out as we grow. And I think in, in marriage, marriage is kind of the epicenter of our discipleship if we'll let it be as learners mm-hmm. and recognize we have so many preconceived notions that we don't know. And if we continue to to put those into God's control and not allow them to use because what I would say is, especially our first years of marriage, well, if this ain't going right now and I don't get a handle on this, it'll be terrible so we would argue for hours my wife and I are both high verbal and oh my goodness and my wife as a one had much more organized thoughts so I'd just be mad all the time (laughs) you know because I was like I've got to solve this Mm -hmm. and when I started to release things and say God this is a problem I'm not denying that but I trust you with this man there's been so many beautiful discoveries
0: I would say one of the things that are is a little bit harder for you and I to speak to Jason but I think I've heard from single people for as terrible as it sounds to us I think it could be how beautiful it sounds to people who God has called into a life of singleness. Wow. And I think this is this is part of the the heartbreaking nature of how as you know, I will speak to the American church specifically has treated marriages as the be all end all. Mm. Um, and we've taught, we taught kids and teenagers, um, you know, you wait to have sex because you know, that perfect, somebody's coming, the person that God has picked out for you. And, and I know it's caused a lot of heartbreak for, for people that that marriage is not something that God has called them to marriage is a gift. It's awesome. It's amazing. Um, but it is not the reason that we're alive. Um, and it's, it's hard to remember that sometimes, especially as, as married people who, who, like being married and who enjoy the relationships with their spouse um our own savior didn't was not you know was not married here on earth paul was not married um and so i know we know this right we know that marriage isn't a qualification for being saved um but i just i i would i would love to hear the perspective of anybody who is who is single um, when you read this passage how does it affect you the idea of of these perfect relationships and everybody having equal claim and you know equal depth and, and all, all this fun stuff I would just i would love if if somebody's out there that's listening to this I would love to hear your perspective on that
1: I, I love that i yeah and I share with you that is that is really good and and i I do carry a burden for how do we as as, as a leader of the church how do I create a spiritual an environment or, or help create an environment that honors everybody, you know, where they are. And so many things are run, if for no other reason, through um, simplicity's sake, through family, kids, you know what I mean, and family being defined as a married couple with children um, and and not honoring the singles. And I have a variety of, of or I have multiple friends that are, are single and, and maybe single for life, and I honor them, but I've even given into the temptation of me praying more about them finding a spouse yeah. than praying and, and giving glory to them who they are, you know what I mean? And it's just one of those things that I, I'm part of the problem in buying into this dynamic that a, that a, a good, that this out how it should go. Mm-hmm. And then you say that and it's like, yeah, of course of course i mean so yeah i really welcome any of our our single uh listeners man i'd I'd appreciate your perspective on that
0: yeah absolutely so maybe to wrap up here i think this last statement um is a perfect wrap up and and i think this statement is so is so simple yet it is so integral to our walk with god jesus says this um, about the resurrection of the dead God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not of the dead. And just that that sentence, that statement, that God is a God of the living and not the dead, it takes even a passage like this of that leaves me very uncomfortable and that I do not like and gives me hope at the end. The fact that God is a God of life means that we get to wake up every morning with hope no matter what happened before we want you to know, as our listener, man, we're very grateful,
1: and and continue to encourage you uh, to participate. This in your own reading. What amazes and perplexes you, and, and let us know, because no matter uh, no matter what we come up with, God will give you something different. And I, and I just want to remind you, uh, we are going to be moving into looking at specific parables in the future. And so uh, if you have a parable that you you love and what amazes and perplexes you about that we'd love to have you be part of that conversation to just reach out to us in one of the ways that's available and let us know. What's the word again?
0: I just said grace peace and love, but that's that's kind of that's your thing. I mean you can you can use it. Yeah. I would feel like I'd I'd be copying it now, so anyway. Peace, grace, <laughs> peace, love, grace, <laughs> tranquility, serenity. What's another
1: word for? Anyway, I'm fine <laughs> with what I said. I think that's
0: great. <laughs> I want to put the whole thing in. <laughs>